time of avaricious men Lost in their lust for power, baby Here they come again They wave the flag and smile To distract us from the truth But we pay like hell for the lies they tell The thieves are on the loose Don't go along with that Land of the free Tonight we have a guest. Our guest is Mr. Chris Locke, who's going to be speaking to us from Japan. And Chris is an extremely interesting person. We first met, uh, he, and I think it's somewhere around 17 years ago, but never in person, not uh, in the same physical space. So without further ado and mumbling through it, I'm going to introduce Chris. Chris, come on, how you doing? Hello, Michael. Uh, wonderful to finally be speaking to you face to face, although not in person. I'm fine. Um, just about recovered from my old back, which I did about a month ago. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm fine. And I hope you are, too. Good, good. You, well, you know, I did that little basic we met 17 years ago kind of a thing. I think mm -hmm. more importantly, at least for now, is that you tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us some background on who you are whatever you want to sh share about in terms of your life. And then I'm going to start asking you some specific stuff about the Meyer case. Okay. 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 Well, it's been a, been, a, been a long life, so I'll try and cut it, <laughs> make it very brief. Um, I'm born in London, um, and I'm still actually British. Although I, I wanted to become Australian. My family all gradually moved over to Australia. And uh, I had permanent residence there. I was living there before I ended up finally coming back to Japan. In England, I studied um, art first and architecture at Kingston, what is now Kingston University. Um, came out here to uh, Japan, uh, Thailand, Australia. Um, in Australia for about a year. Uh, worked there as an architectural technician on Townsville Airport. Um, Designing, or uh, doing the drawings for their airport. They didn't have drawings for their building. I think they're making place international uh, airport. Um, so they hired me to do the drawings for the buildings that already existed, kind of backwards, straight <laughs> doing things. But anyway, um, I left there when I was about thirty and came uh, back to Japan. I've been to Japan for a short visit. Um, ended up staying for six months by accident. And uh, when I was in Australia, um, I remade contact with uh, a Japanese friend who invited me to come back and try and help him sell the royal jelly. And also to teach English, yeah, so it might be interesting. Right? Um, my job, my contract had run out um, as an architectural technician. I was offered another job actually up in Darwin. Same, similar position. Um, this is after Typhoon Tracy, so Darwin was very small back then, you know, most people had moved out. Um, I was offered a job there, but it was so remote, you know, I thought I can't still be in the next 30 years. <laughs> uh, where I was in North Queensland was remote enough, you know, but Darwin back then was just. I thought, no, I can't stay here. So I turned down the position and then came back to Japan because my friend offered me the opportunity. So when I came back here to Japan, I helped him for a bit and taught English um, just evenings. I was single, so I was free. Um, 
and uh, pursued my own interests and studies, uh, which were which are many. And um, gradually, the teaching English took over more and more time. I was offered more and more work, and uh, it was the only job I never really felt I had to leave. You know, I, I enjoyed it, and uh, so I just carried on. And eventually, went to college and university work. And I studied applied linguistics while I was in correspondence. Um, that was actually with a non-accredited university. I did my PhD in semiotics, uh, which is a branch of applied linguistics. Um, and from that, just started teaching at university. I'm just finishing my final classes now. I've got two classes. I'm 74, 75 in January. And I'll be working my final six months next year. Um, but basically, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. Um, I haven't really covered the interests, but maybe we can get to that. Sure. So it sounds like, quite obviously, you have a strong academic background. I guess that'd be the understatement. And uh, I am curious, how did you get into photography and get to a high professional level with it? Yeah. Um, Interesting. When I was, uh, I've always been interested in art and photography. So uh, I first got interested in photography when I was 17. Um, I hitchhiked, uh, when I was 16, I hitchhiked just Spain, France and Spain, and um, took this tiny little plastic Kodak camera, you know, they were breaking hard plastic things in those days that my father had. I took that with me, took a few photos, and when I got home, I looked at the photos, they were so atrocious. <laughs> I thought, oh, I've got to learn how to take some good photos. And there was this trip to, to Spain, which was an adventure for me. So I was on my own, only 16 years old. You know, and uh, it was a great opportunity. I came up with failed photos. Um, so as soon as I could, I saved up some money and got a single lens reflex camera, decided to take photos. Mm. And um, Developed that a little bit in art school when I was there, but the problem at art school is we didn't have a, we had a photography department, but there was no teacher there. It was uh, like a, um, it's a dark, we could go in there and use it. So I, I taught myself to use that. And um, after that, we went, I went to uh, University of uh, Kingston, which was then um, Kingston Polytechnic School of Architecture. There were no universities uh, with architecture courses back in those days. Um, they were all schools of architecture. Uh, there were only about half a dozen in the country. Um, but when there, it was the same there. Um, I started drawing, of course, and uh, also doing some photography of architecture. But there was a similar situation there. They just had a dark room and no teachers. So I taught myself again in there. Um, so basically in photography, I'm completely self-taught. Now, when I was at Kingston, in my final year there, um, I heard of the Society of Architectural Illustrators, uh, or illustrations, which I think back in those days, uh, in England, it just started up. And uh, I liked the sound of that and uh, wrote to them and sent me some samples of my work. And they accepted me as what in those days was an associate. Um, and uh, I maintained that 
contact with them. Uh, even when I came out to Asia, we, we kind of let it go loose a bit and I lost a bit of contact. But every now and then I remake contact with them. And then uh, I started getting more into photography. But in 1996, uh, it was, they, contacted me and said we would like to have a contact in Japan and you, you're there uh, would you be our coordinator with uh, JARA the Japan Architectural Renderers Association and uh, I thought that'd be interesting so I thought, yeah that'd be good the only problem is what am I going to do um, I couldn't really set up in my studio a drawing board and stuff that take up too much time too much money too much space couldn't really do that. And so I, I said, well, how, I, how about if I do photography? Um, that would be easier for me to handle. Plus I had to send work to them every year. Easier to send photographs. Um, and easier for me to keep and store photographs. Uh, I didn't have a computer yet in 1996, so we weren't online. Um, I was very human, little person. Processor, and um, so basically, I said yes, and they said, "Okay, yes, you can do photography. That'd be good. We can add that to our list of sections that we do." Um, so I did that, and I started uh, taking uh, photographs of professional quality. Um, now there were minimal professional quality. Um, you couldn't. We couldn't use like a thirty-five millimeter camera. Yeah, the, the lowest grade we could get allowed was six by seven camera, which is or negatives of that. They're 120 film. So these negatives are about three times the size or four times the size of 35 millimeter. And it's a big heavy camera. Yeah, mm -hmm. basically it's a studio camera. Um, but I take it out and use it as a heavy handheld camera is just doable, you know, if you're careful and um, you have strong arms, and I did have um, it's a heavy camera. Um, so I started doing that and um, they accepted me uh, as a photographer and that led on. Um, gradually got better and I've got some work there. Um, there's a Japanese, there was a Japanese magazine at the time uh, called Kansai Taimao. Kansai is the area of Japan, West Japan, um, where I live. That, that includes Osaka, Kyoto, Nara, Kobe, uh, and, and a few other areas near there. Um, this was a magazine which was kind of echoing the New York and London Time Out magazine, and what's on. Basically. Maybe this is all pre-computer era, Pre-computer time. Yeah. yeah. Let um, me ask. You, let me ask you because uh, people may be wondering, well, why? Why are you talking about photography and all? Let's jump into where we're we're going in that yeah. sense, yeah. because you will have more to say about photography and your own experience with it. How and when did you find the Billy Meyer case? What What was that about for you? Yeah, okay. This is actually my question. It's a difficult question to answer because I don't really remember when. It's so long ago. Um, and actually, I might first have heard of Billy Meyer, not his name, but the character, 
when I was 17 and after I'd been to Spain, I hitchhiked across to Istanbul. Um, and I met these two Germans who um, got talking to. And uh, they were huge. I mean, the smaller one was about 64, and the other one was six foot eight or seven foot three, I think. There's only five foot six or seven. <laughs> but anyway, we got talking and they said, um, we talked about traveling to different countries and gaining experience. And so we, we know this guy in, um, in Germany or in, in Europe who uh, traveled around a lot. And uh, we realized it's very good experience to travel around and get um, experiences in different cultures, um, ways of thinking and so on. And it was very odd, you know, the way they said it. And I, it's odd, I actually remember this because it was just like the explanation that Salmeza gave to Billy as to why he had to travel abroad. And I wonder, wasn't actually talking about Billy? You, you know, um, they certainly didn't mention his name, uh, um, but there was no need to, you know. And they might not have known him, maybe they just heard of him too. Um, but it was mm -hmm. a subject, everyone was traveling around at that time to gain experience. Um, so that might have been my first time I'd actually heard of him, but not his name. Now his name, and what I actually remember is the book at the top here, above my head, um, the Wendell Stevens book, the youth of contact in the Pleiades. Um, in 1984, um, I went to um, Korea with uh, a German friend of mine. Uh, to renew our cultural visas to stay in Japan. We had to do that back in those days. Um, we could put in residence. It was very, very difficult. Um, and uh, when we came back um, from that visit in 1984, we went into the biggest bookstore in Osaka City, downtown. And um, we were looking through the English books there because we missed the really Japanese. But we had an English section. And staring at me was, was this book you know, on, on the shelf there. And I went to my German friend and said, look at that. And um, he said, uh, you know, I was interested in UFOs. I've been interested in UFOs. That's another long story, which goes back to my, my youth again in England. Um, I went for a few both sightings. Uh, and he said, would you want it? Do you want it, Chris? And I said, oh, well, yeah. Uh, and he bought it for me, yeah. Um, and that was the beginning, really, of me getting really interested. When I, mm. when I started reading, I, I couldn't put it down for the whole thing, right? It's uh, such a big mm -hmm. book, yeah. I mean, there's a lot in there. And at the well, time, 1984, mm -hmm. that was all there really was about me. But soon I was to hear a lot more because um, a lot of people from America coming over to Japan, putting on um, lectures, presentations, workshops, and so on, and new age people. And every now and then, Billy's name would crop up. And I also actually met, um, this was in the 1980s, uh, you probably know Sean Morton. Mm -hmm. uh, he came over. And uh, this was a time when he had just visited Billy in, um, in Switzerland. And he'd taken photographs from Billy's album. So he was showing us the photographs that he had just taken his visit to see Billy and the news back then, you know, this is when Billy was almost dead in a very, very bad way. 
And uh, Sean was telling us, this is all we knew. I mean, this is secondhand, secondhand information. You know, other than talking to Billy, this is the best information you've got. And he said, oh, Billy's dying. You know, uh, it's all kind of over, you know. Um, and uh, he just told us what he knew. And then after that, there these people like this coming out of the doing what was obviously their own interpretation, <laughs> using right. really stuff, you know, well, interacting it for their own purposes. Let me let me ask you then, um, the as someone who had begun and had been, let's say, pursuing the study of photography and photography itself. When you see Meyer's photographs, his UFO photographs, uh, how what happened? <laughs> what did you think, and how did that play into your, you know, your yeah. own sense of where you were going to go in life for things? Yeah. Well, um, it's an interesting question, Margaret. I often think about this myself and ask myself because I remember I taught myself photography. I'm rather weak on the science side. I've got some friends here, Japanese friends here, who um, uh, are very strong on the science side of photography. And one of them is a very famous UFO photographer in Osaka, one of my best friends here. Um, when I looked at the, this, this photo here, when I saw this on the cover here, of the Stevens, I knew instinctively there was something very genuine about that. Um, it took me a long time to work out what it actually is. Yeah, um, you have to kind of analyze it and realize what you're actually looking at. You know, and, and I wasn't used to doing that. I, I was an artist. You know, it was very intuitive. You know, just go by my own senses and my own feelings. Um, but the more I got into this, the more I was brought up to look a bit analytically and work things out. Mm -hmm. Actually, why am I actually feeling this? Why do I feel this is a genuine question? Um, and with that one, you can actually see it by your head. We've got a very good um, one the day out here, but that's the same photo. Yeah. And it's a good example because there we're seeing the, the atmospheric. Uh, Atmosphere, you know, the, the light shining through the um, the mist there um, around the UFO, and um, you can't fake that, right? And that that tells you there's distance there in, in terms of meters, many meters. Um, so we actually know this from our own evolution. You know, when we used to go hunting or whatever. Yeah, we learn to read this distance and this, and the mist and things. It's it's within us. You know, we instinctively recognize this. And and I was picking that up. I knew that, but it's not good enough. You know, we have to go and explain it scientifically. <laughs> yeah. So I got more into trying to look at that, and and that's what I did with uh, Francisco in, in the book there. Year there. Um, so that would Where be. I'm going yeah. to analyze that a bit if more. Explaining a bit more scientifically, the actual scientific terms to use that. Would it, people would be able to get into understanding more of what you're speaking about in your process in in your books, the two books that you have with Francisco, I would assume. Yes. Yes, I oh, definitely. Yeah. 
yeah. Um, it was only then that I really got into uh, trying to analyze, okay, why do I feel this thing? You know. Um, and when I started working with Francisco, I wasn't sure where it was going to go, you know. And uh, I, I made a condition with him up front. I said, look, we have to go with the data and what it's going to tell us. You know, where it goes, that's where we go. Are you in agreement with that? And he said, yes, that's what we've got to do, you know. And, and, um, and that was great, actually, to work with him, knowing that he was genuine on that. And he was a very genuine guy, Francisco. Although I'd never actually spoken with him, I could tell from his emails. <laughs> and we would both make mistakes if we were going along, you know, correct each other. And uh, really, like, yes, that's right. Yeah, I don't know um, if you are aware that um, uh, my webmaster, uh, Melissa Osaki, did uh, some more work on these photographs, too. And if you don't know, we'll send you links to her work on it. Uh, I have seen those, Michael. Yeah, it's okay. very well done. Yeah, yeah. Congratulator. Yeah, and and your um, the blog that you put up. You know, whenever you put up a new contact, the latest contact report from Billy, I always um, um, forward that to my Facebook page. It always goes up there. Uh, your latest one is up there. Yesterday, I put that up there. Um, so I think I put hers up there as well. Um, so they're on there. If you go to my Facebook page and scroll down, I mean, they're all there. Great, thank um, you. Yeah, I appreciate so. that, of course, very much. Well, you know, um, I think you also, <laughs> you've had some other kinds of experiences in your life. And I always am interested in letting people describe what's happened to them and their own personal experiences a lot of things i am personally i've been skeptical about things and i've had strange experiences of my own so when mm. somebody intelligent starts describing an interesting experience uh, i want them to be able to bring that to our for you know forum here as well so mm. why don't you tell the folks what i'm alluding to um depends what experience you're talking about there, Michael. I mean, I have had many, you know, um, many remarkable experiences when I look back over the years. But probably the, I mean, the most significant one for me personally was um, when I experienced what uh, in, in Japanese Zen they call satori, uh, which surprisingly is, is a very rare experience, you know. I, um, I just read, um, went back and read this book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, by Shinryu uh, Suzuki. I, I bought, bought this a long time ago. It's an, it's an old book. And he's one of the people who took Zen to America. You know, he, he never experienced suffering. Uh, it's that rare an experience, you know. And, and another, um, Brits, um, who's married to a Japanese, who sometimes lives in Canada as well, um, interviewed me once and said, yes, it's very odd that you've had this experience, you know, because so many people don't. You know. And um, I had this experience in uh, 2001, September 17th, 2001, about 2.30 in the morning. And um, it's the most remarkable experience. You know. 
it's it's actually the experience that the Buddha had when he experienced enlightenment. And in our modern day times, um, the um, gurus, the Sadhguru, he's had this experience too. Um, now, there's a lot, I need to write a book on it. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding about it and people have experienced it. You know, it needs to be cleared up. Um, the problem is so few people have experienced it. They get so few records. You know, what's actually going on? Um, and I myself um, keep questioning specifically what is going on. And I've called upon, I had a pub paper published in Alzheimer University of Arts, and there's two actually, um, where I mentioned the experience, what triggered it in my case. There's a painting which I think probably works like the Japanese coin, uh, the Zen coin, uh, where you concentrate and eventually uh, the concentration and meditation becomes so strong um, that it triggers this experience where these energies is forced into the body and up into the brain. And um, you're going to die to yourself. It's like dying, you know, but you're still here. And um, Joseph Campbell has written about this in his, in his books. Um, um, he calls it the mythic death. Um, it's like dying, but you're still here. I mean, you can talk a lot about this, but what does it mean to people, you know? And the same problem exists in, uh, yes, well, in this the is... Zen era, in the Zen field, you know. A lot, of, a lot of people, you know, nowadays are not in, well, as familiar with some of the context, I think. There was a lot more familiarity, perhaps, around Zen and that type of thing, going back 20, 30, 40 years, et cetera. Yeah. I remember hearing more about it in the 70s and 80s, but I was also thinking that you had another experience about, I think, what was it, 34, 35 years ago with something that you might call an abduction? And Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. What was that about? Well, this is very interesting again. Um, this was back in the, in the 80s when I was having... Um, you know, my friend was working with the, the guy in um, in Tokyo, who I also know, who puts on all these uh, workshops, and invites these new age people over from America. And uh, the ages was huge in Japan for, for UFOs. You know, Jimmy G. Yao, were all out on TV. Uh, it was all happening. And um, I was very, very into this and uh, I first started to have my first um, visions of like um, in um, when I was about 34, I think. This is with a, a very good friend of mine who's actually in the new age. He was going to be eventually ended up losing um, contacts, you know, um, she thought my Saturday experience was actually related to her work. She couldn't understand it, it was actually related to something else. Um, but anyway, um, sorry, what was your question then, Michael? <laughs> it was about the, uh, the thing, I oh, guess, the abduction, the abduction, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. So, um, 
so I was having these these dreams and things, and I was keeping the dream diary because uh, a lot of these were uh, very unusual. You know, one where I was, was walking on water at this place, and um, it was a very strange place. And then the next week, I, I happened to see a picture of Giant's Causeway in Ireland, and it was the place in my dream where I saw that. How the hell did I know that? You know, it's odd. You know, I can't really explain it. You know, um, but it was just an odd experience, you know. But the other ones would come along, and then I had this one. I made contact with these people who allegedly had contact with aliens, you know. Um, and uh, one night I had this dream of this, and in this dream, uh, I I saw or sensed a UFO. I can't remember now. I actually saw a UFO flying across. Um, nothing discernible shape-wise. Not even any light. And I just kind of, in my dream, telepathically say, if, if you're nice people, let's meet and talk you know, and discuss. And I heard this booming kind of voice saying, you cannot comprehend. And then my consciousness was just clicked off in an instant and then there was an explosion of golden bright light in my head and I woke up I thought wow what the hell is this and as I looked in my room like golden light was kind of shining everywhere it was actually like coming from inside myself you know like um it wasn't objectively out there in the room I was, I was kind of looking through something myself. Um, and, I, and then I thought, what's this thing? It's this stinging thing on my left hand, my, on the knuckle of my little finger. And I, I looked at it, and it was just, there was a scoop there, you know, a missing piece of flesh. It was all red around, it was stinging, and, I, and it had this kind of antiseptic smell to it. Okay. I thought, I'm you know? Like, What's going on? <laughs> and uh, I thought, I've got to take a photograph of this. Yeah, this is, but I, I got my camera, but it was a 50 millimeter lens, and I couldn't focus on it. I tried to take it, I took a photo, but it was all blurred, and you couldn't really make anything out. Um, but I took that to a friend, a uh, young Japanese guy, and this. Um, Tarot shop or fortune tennis place downtown. You know. And I, I, I noted the time when I woke up, it was 8 15 in the morning. So I thought, okay, I've got the time. I get him to draw up an astrological chart. What, what was going on here? What, did you see anything here? No. Um, did I meet anybody? Did anybody, <laughs> you know, maybe you can figure something out or see something. And so I went along, I saw him, I explained the situation. He said, oh, I'll check it out. You know, he drew up a chart for me at that time. Um, which I've actually got here somewhere. Um, and uh, he was able to tell me a few things, you know, not very much, of course. And he said, well, it's, um, it suggests a meeting with some kind of intelligence, um, very intelligent. There's a high intelligence involved in this. And, uh, there's an indication of another time or space or place, but he wasn't quite sure which. Um, and uh, so it seems to be 
kind of you know psychic. It might be recurring. But I've never had anything recurring like this. It's just a one-off experience. You know, I said to him like, what I really want to know is uh, you say this is an intelligence. Are these good people? Are they bad people? Are they neutral? What's who am I dealing with here? And uh, he said, Well, I'm there's nothing bad, there's nothing good. Um, it seems good, and they seem to have your interests at heart. I well, could tell that. And um, that was about it, you know, I and mean, I wasn't able to take it anywhere further with that. And it's always been a question what actually happened there? What was actually going on? And just recently, um, I've heard, um, you might be able to help me out here, Michael, actually, um, some recent information about the, um, the people in Mount um, Shasta, what was it, the, the alien section group that was there. Um, and they um, were there until uh, about, um, I think it was the 1990s, they left. And began um, let them go off. They went off somewhere, um, and that is very interesting to me because uh, in 1996, when Hale Bock came uh, by the Earth, um, I went with my UFO uh, photographer Japanese friend and two of his friends. He was actually an ex-editor of the Sunday Shimbun, Sunday newspaper. And we put on a huge UFO exhibition mainly outside the World Trade Center, very successful. We went up to the top of Mount Ecoma to photograph um, our block. And we had our camera set up, but we knew where it was going to come up you know, on the space there. And uh, the night sky started coming in. You know, it was just dark blue sky, clear sky. It wasn't the cloudy sky. It was sitting over it's going to appear any, anytime now. It's going to be there. We're going to catch it. You know? And uh, I just happened to never mind that I look right above me. I like, what the hell is that? And we all looked up, and there was this golden pulsating light. We were like, what? Yeah. And then you, cameras, cameras, get the cameras. <laughs> you know, they're all on tripods facing this other direction. You know? So when we got the cameras, it was by then it disappeared. This uh, uh, pulsating UFO thing, or whatever it was, it disappeared. You know, and that, well, I, 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 I want to ask you something. What on earth is that? And I'm wondering now whether that was possibly those um, Andromedans who were not Andromedans. I forget what they're called now. Who were in Manchester? I heard that they actually fly in golden UFO. And I'm wondering. Could it possibly be then? They're leaving, they just happen to call by and say, okay, we're off now, we're going now. Bye. You know, I've never had anything seen. We might have a we might have a photograph. Question. We might have a photograph uh that you'll have a chance to look at probably when when you watch this interview. I'll have I'll have inserted it hopefully. So okay. uh, I do, I do want to ask you this. Um because you know you have an academic background, you got into photography and you, into the study of Zen and all, so you found the Billy Meyer material. But let's come back and see uh, if there is 
anything you want to say about any relationship or lack of relationship between what's in the Meyer material, the teaching and all, and uh, the Eastern tradition, the, um, the Zen tradition, was there an affinity for Meyer's material because of that? Or what, what would you say about it since you have familiarity with both? Yeah, this is a very difficult um, matter, actually. And I've been looking at this a lot. And, you know, I've been meditating on my Saturday experience for the past 22 years, you know, it's 22 years ago. And um, really, in his book, um, Meditations, um, I've got it here somewhere. Uh, what can I put in that at my fingertips? Um, oh, here it is. Introduction to Meditation but by Bing. Now, in here, I, I can't remember exactly where, but he actually, um, I read it somewhere else. He mentions um, pure creational energy perception. And when I heard that, really, that is it. That's exactly it. Um, yeah, after the Saturday experience, your consciousness has changed. It's permanent. You know, there's, you never go back to where you were before. Now, of course, when you're working, you're just concentrating on your work and your job, and, and, and that's what you're focused on. Now. But when you sit back and relax, and you're free, the default state of your consciousness is different. And I would say it is that. When Buddy said that, that is so beautiful. That's exactly it, you know. If you're there, that's it, you know. And um, it's extraordinary. You know, I, I I get this time and again with Billy's material. You know, I'll I'll hear something. Oh, thank you, Billy. You know, I it's exactly what I thought. And some reason I had to work out for myself. You know, like um, after the experience. The salary experience. One, the one thing I first realized right away is that my personality were not survive. And I think the people in the world are actually saying that. Now, in the, world, in the Eastern tradition, you do have that. Um, but I think you see what's going on, you know. And um, the closest one is, is yoga, where they say the consciousness goes on and is reincarnated. In, in the future into a different personality. And I think, well, yeah, okay, yeah, reasonable. Um, but um, what exactly is reincarnated? Um, if it's not the person, what's actually reincarnated? I mean, you said consciousness, not consciousness, you know. And I, I got very involved in the ringmakers in. in uh, material as well, which is actually where my Saturday actually came from, which is the Cohen, which is bigger than my experience. And then there they talk about different levels of consciousness to it. And um, this is what interests me greatly about Billy. He does this in great detail. Um, now, I only know from my own experience as far as Saturday. Uh, from that, I, I don't know the particular state of consciousness, well, I do know the state of consciousness which survives death, because you, you, you're kind of with it, you know, you're that. Um, 
but there's more, you know, because when you actually do die, it's obviously bigger. And your consciousness is completely gone because a new one has to come up. What's going on there um, is not explained clearly in the Eastern tradition any, anywhere. Um, and, and what interests me about Billy though is he, he does do that. Now, I can't know um, empirically that he's right, <laughs> you know, obviously. Um, but it makes sense, and it's the best um, explanation that I've ever that I've heard. You know, um, the other closest one is James Mahu, the, the author of all the remakes materials. He gets very close to this degree. He's more pictorial, he does more in art and painting. Um, there are philosophical treatises about it. Um, but I find Billy just goes into a bit more detail. Yeah. Um, so regarding the Eastern tradition, um, the Zen experience and, and, and the Enlightenment experience, to me, um, that comes closest when Billy's talking about pure creation energy perception. Mm. And, and another interesting thing for me was when I was, when I first heard of Billy, and when I first heard of the word creation, there wasn't a clear explanation given available online. This was in the 1980s or early 1990s. And um, I remember thinking, yeah, Billy, you're wrong. Like, creation isn't that. You know, creation is a thing. Right? I'm an artist, right? An artist's creation is what it's this thing you make. <laughs> and the universe, um, um, if it's a creation, then who, who created this creation? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but the more I thought about it, you know, this was over a period of years, two or three years, keep thinking about this and going back to it. And eventually I realized, well, what is the universe in its entirety? And um, it's not um, like a criticism, it was my criticism at that time. It's not a thing, it's not a criticism, it's an ongoing process forever. Um, and then, but then I began to think, so, okay, well, so what do you call that person? You want, to, you want to talk about that as a thing? What, do you, what word are you going to use? You know? And if you look at it from that point of view, creation is actually a reasonable word to use. You know? um, the only problem is initially you're going to put a wall of skepticism, it doesn't seem clear. Um, but as with all advanced concepts, the more you look at it, um, the simpler it gets. Mm -hmm. And the simplest thing is actually hard to yeah. comprehend. I mean, who really understands E equals MC squared? It's a very simple equation. But I don't really understand what the interest is on the picture, you know. Um, well, let me, Chris, let me ask you just because we're running out of time. Yeah. Um, maybe we would also be able, in a subsequent visit to go into some other information about the connection that you have with the Nostradamus material and tying yeah. it into some of Billy's prophecies as well because yeah. I think people would be interested in that and um, I uh, mentioned to you that there's there's a photograph I'm going to try to find it that I think will relate to what you were talking about about the golden light and all mm. and yeah. uh, I'll be inserting it in here if I can come up with it. 
but, right. Yeah, and thank you. You know, the, the, you know this kind of holistic trip that our <clears throat> Burmese that our lives are, and we never know at a given moment what's going to tie in at some other mm. time and how it will how it will go. Yeah. So I am going to encourage people, you know, to get in, in touch. And uh, we carry your books here in in our bookstore, and I'll have a link to that bookstore as well in our uh, in our video here. So let me thank you for the opportunity, and we will certainly be in touch about all of the various other things that are in our ongoing uh, discussion among the people who study this material. So. Uh, well, thank, thank you, Mikey. That's been a, a pleasure and an honor to be with you. I, I respect all your work and your, the way you stand up to all the, the criticism that comes. You know, I'm, I'm lucky, actually. I don't face a lot of criticism where I am. Japan's remarkably open-minded, you know, in this respect. That's um, a lovely thing right there. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, in America, uh, the UFO topic is 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 novelty, entertainment, Lots of people with zero ability, background, experience, research, skills, who simply get involved so they can feel like they're involved in something important. And they become very easy fodder for the uh, misleading elements, the government and disinformation. Yeah. So it's all clouded up here with chasing lights in the sky and, you know, young people and older people who have nothing else going, pardon me in their lives and have no other other accomplishments. So this is the easy field. But in, in having a conversation with you and just touching upon parts of your life and your background and academia and Zen and this and that and the other thing, and here you have two books that you've done with Francisco, I think people will be enriched by getting these books and learning more. So... Again, if I might say, Michael, just in, in finally, uh, uh, I did with with the Society of Architecture Illustrators. I did um, I do head up their uh, photography sections, and I made this photography page on on the website there. Yeah. Um, so there is a fair amount of um, photography work I have done, and I, I did work. Um, in uh, Printifern, in their uh, photography department. So I know a little bit of that the um, experience there. We didn't really talk much about that. And, um, but uh, anyway, thank you again for inviting me on my, my, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, Chris, we will speak again. I thank okay. you. Okay, thank you. In our preceding conversation, Chris Locke stated that he saw a golden pulsating light above him during an experience that he was having. And in Contact Report 39, December 3rd, 1975, as contained in this volume from Wendell Stevens, in the Message from Pleiades, Volume 2, we see this information about Mount Shasta, where Billy Meyer is asking Semyaze about it, and she explains that it's a volcano in North America. If you draw your attention to this, you see in the 260th sentence, she said they're golden-colored spaceships of a spherical form. These are what are often seen, and it's interesting because 
When we look at the article, UFO photographed over Mammoth Mountain area in California, that's published on Rents, January 1st, 2001, we see a photograph by Ron Resnick, a photographer I knew back in Los Angeles. Here, it's a nice panoramic view. And on the left-hand side, above the clouds, a little white dot. And Ron didn't notice anything particular about it until he developed or processed his film and he saw this object, which he then zoomed in on and enlarged further here and we see a golden spherical object. Could that be connected to the Hyperboreans? The extraterrestrials who used to live in the Mount Shasta area? Could that have been what Chris Locke was seeing during his very interesting experience? Salome. First will be the flag, then what you can eat and drink. Next will be your attitude, what you say you're feeling faint. Then before you know it, you're a number without a name. We're under attack, we better push back so we don't end.